Apologies that I've been away for some time. Life's been rather busy. After all, it is the Yuletide season here in, uh, well, planet Earth, on planet Earth. It is Christmas, it is Hanukkah, it is Kwanzaa. I'm not sure what other uh, religious ceremonies are being celebrated at this time, but uh, lots of them are, are, are certainly taking place at this time of the year. So whatever you celebrate, wherever you are, I hope you're celebrating with uh, friends, family, and loved ones. Okay. Let's get to the show, shall we? going to kick things off today. Um, oh, before I do that, how about I introduce the show for those of you who may be new. This is Songs and Stories, Supplemental Jazz Edition. This is part 74. So for those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I hope you enjoy your time. I hope to provide you with information about jazz music and artists via the Songs and Stories format. His first composition today is from the late, great Lenny Tristano, a magnificent uh, pianist. He was both uh, a composer, arranger, and a teacher. I guess both. That's three things. He taught jazz improv throughout his life and career. Passed away in 1978 at the tender age of 59. Of course, I say the tender age of 59 because... That's only about four and a half years away for me. So, without any further ado, this is Lenny Tristano's um, interpretation of, well, the abbreviated version of I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance, and his title is simply Ghost of a Chance, recorded in 1947. Thank you. 
great Lenny Tristano with his uh, spectacular interpretation of the uh, composition originally written by uh, Bing Crosby, Victor Young, and Ned Washington back in the early 30s. Lenny was a complex individual who studied and taught for, well, the better part of his career. He recorded with all the leading bebop musicians back in the 40s, started to form his own bands during that time period. His um, quintet, the Lenny Tristano Quintet, in 1949 recorded the first free group improvs. His innovations continued throughout the 50s uh, with the first overdubbed improvised jazz recordings. And sometime after that, he started to record an atonal improvised solo piano piece that was based on the development of motifs rather than harmonies. He developed further via polyrhythms and, and chromaticism into the 1960s, but was infrequently recorded for some bizarre reason. Now, the thing about Lenny was that a lot of jazz critics, you either went one way or the other with Lenny. You either loved him or loathed him. So his, his history, his, his legacy, is, it's complex. Critics really disagree on his, his importance in jazz history. Many absolutely love him, and many absolutely love them, as I just said. Complex. It's difficult to always get, you know, a, a consensus, a general consensus of, of what a man's influence is on the music. But that was Lenny. Complex, unique, and very much avant-garde for his day. The late great Lenny Tristano passed away, as I said, in 1978, November 18th, 1978. He was 59 years old. Very young. Sad, though. Musicians, like I said, musicians and critics vary in their, in their appraisal of him as a musician. Some describe his playing as cold and suggest that his innovations had little impact. Well, others state that he was a bridge between bebop and later free forms of jazz and assert that he's less, a lot less appreciated than he, he should be. Because he was really hard to, to categorize. And he also made the conscious decision not to commercialize his music in any way, shape, or form. He was, he was a unique man, that's for sure. Unique man, unique music, unique career. Okay. For our next composition today, we have, well, um... A group, a quartet, sorry, a trio, I should say, Niels Vincenz, Billy Hart, and Jacob Artfit. Hopefully I pronounced those names correctly. Niels, N-I-E-L-S, Niels, Niles? Is it Niles or Niels? I'm not entirely sure, sure about that, but this is their um, composition, Sincerity. Sit back, enjoy the jazz, and I'll tell you all about these individuals when we return.
Something for Someone, released on October 2nd, 2022, featuring, um, well, basically still wet behind the ears guitarist, Jacob Artved, who at the tender age of 22 has proven himself to be quite the prolific jazz guitarist. Now, the elder statesman in that trio, Billy Hart, as a name you may or may not recognize, Billy is 82 years of age. He's been around the scene for, well, quite some time. He became uh, internationally known for his work with um, Herbie Hancock's Wendishi Band in the early 1970s. He's performed with Shirley Horn and Stan Getz, along with Quest, among others. He, like, it's originally from uh, Washington, D.C., uh, a magnificent innovator. He's been active in the jazz scene since 1958. So he's been playing longer than both Niels and Jacob have been alive. Now, that's not taking away from either one of those because you just heard what you just heard. Now, Niels is um, a, rather, a rather adventuresome and, and, and forward-thinking saxophonist. With uh, he leans more towards a harmon- harmonically um, advanced modern creative jazz. Now he, he was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, but he grew up in Denmark. So he studied music in college. Um, he lived in New York City for a number of years, but he, he decided to settle in uh, in uh, Djurland, D J U R S land, Denmark. He's got a lot of titles under his name, starting with. Um, well, in 1999, I think his first recording was You Shouldn't Do This If You Were In A Hurry, which I think is a rather interesting song title. His discography, well, he's, he's got quite a few records out under his title, under his name. Uh, going back since 1999, as I said, his latest 
being the one you just heard from the album Something for Someone, released in October of this year. I'm stumbling over my words this morning because I've only had one cup of coffee and I've just poured my second one, so give me a second here while I take a sip. That does the trick. Helps the blood flow a little bit better, as well as the thoughts. Now, Jacob Ardfed, very young, like I said, 22 years of age, but he's been working for a number of years because he, he started um, when he was 15. <laughs> a Danish guitar legend, Jacob Fisher, um, introduced him at the age of 15. He was admitted to the Royal Academy of Music as the youngest student ever. But he chose to drop out and move to New York City. He spent long nights jamming instead. So, you know, the, the thing about music and the thing about jazz is there's only so much studying you can do in school before you quite literally have to get out there into the world and just play. And I think that's what Jacob wanted and needed to do. He's recorded in a, a lot of legendary places with a lot of legendary people, including this composition from with uh, Niels and Billy. I envision a long career ahead for Mr. Uh, Jacob Artford. Now, I hope I pronounced his name correctly. Maybe it's Arted. I don't know if the V is silent or not. And I apologize if I've screwed up the name. I'm going to do that a lot because a lot of these names I've never heard pronounced. I've only read about them and listened to their music. Now, I'm going to play a, a composition from 1959 from the album Kelly Blue, a.k.a. the Keep News Collection. This is uh, Wynton Kelly with the uh, composition Softly as in a Morning Sunrise. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the jazz.
Softly as in a morning sunrise, Winston Kelly, from the album Keep News Collective, or Kelly Blue, the Keep News Collection. Now, Mr. Kelly was a pianist and composer. He was well known for his lively blues bass playing and was described as one of the finest accompanist, accompanists <laughs> in jazz. He began playing professionally at the age of 12. And by the age of 16, he was a pianist on the number one R&B hit. His recording debut as a leader took place when he was 19 years of age, around the time he started to become better known as accompanist to singer Dinah Washington and as a member of Dizzy Gillespie's band. Now, he did serve for uh, two years in the United States Army, and uh, after he was uh, discharged, he worked again with Dinah Washington and Dizzy Gillespie. He also played along with um, Cannonball Adderley, John Coltrane, Hank Mobley, Wes Montgomery, Sonny Rollins, Billy Holiday. In other words, uh, an absolute who's who of jazz at that time. Now, he attracted the most attention, I guess, um, as a member of Miles Davis's band in 1959, including an appearance on the album Kind of Blue which has been described oftentimes as the best-selling jazz album ever. And it's kind of neck and neck along with uh, Time Out from the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Which one has sold more? It's tough to say because records from that time period are a little sketchy at best. Nevertheless, both albums are multi-platinum and deservedly so because both changed the face of jazz music. And Mr. Winton Kelly was an integral part of that. Now, Mr. Kelly sadly passed away um, in 1971. He was only 39 years of age. He was found uh, dead in his hotel room at the Westminster Hotel on Jarvis Street in Toronto. He had called his girlfriend earlier saying that he had complained that he was, he was not feeling well. And she suggested, why don't you go down to the bar so that if anything bad happens, somebody can help you. Because he'd long known for somebody who suffered seizures from epilepsy. It was questionable whether or not he ever made it to the bar, because there's nobody to corroborate as a witness that he was there. And he was found in his hotel room. Sad end to a great musical life. Sometimes that's just the way things roll, right? Terrible situation. For a young man who, well, a young man because he was only 39, a young man who had so much music left in him. But we are thankful for the music he did give us. And he worked with literally, literally everyone in jazz. Joe Henderson, Dexter Gordon. I mean, the man's fingerprints are all over jazz at the time and jazz into the future because he was such a massive influence. If you've never listened to the album Kind of Blue by Miles Davis, well, I have featured a few tracks off that record on this program because it's a seminal recording and it's one you should have in your collection. If you don't, strongly recommend you pick it up. 
And if you need to audition it on a streaming service, it is widely available on just about every one you can find. I have it on vinyl and on compact disc. And yes, I have a full digital copy on my phone, my tablet, and all of my computers. Because when I feel like listening to it, I want it to be right there at my fingertips at all times. Some days, I just need to hear it. Okay. Gonna go to um, an album called from, from um, an album called The Jazz Giants, released in 1956 by Mr. Lester Young. And if you're not familiar with Mr. Young, well, it's kind of a shame because, wow, another absolutely epic player. He's one of the true jazz giants, tenor saxophonist who came up with a completely different conception in how to play. Now, why don't we get right into it? And then when we come back, we, being the royal we, I'll tell you all about the, the album, The Jazz Giants, and this composition from Mr. Lester Young. I didn't know what time it was. Thank you. 
Lester Young with his interpretation of the Rogers and Hart classic, I Didn't Know What Time It Was. Now, that album was recorded in a single day, January 12th, 1956, at Fine Sound Studios in New York City. Now, as a company of musicians on that record were Roy Eldridge on trumpet, Vic Dickinson on trombone, Teddy Wilson on the piano, Freddie Green on guitar, Gene Ramey, Gene Ramey, apologies, on bass, and Joe Jones on the drums. Now, the record, well, don't have a lot of information about it, other than that it was recorded on the Verve label, and was well-respected by critics. But I couldn't tell you what kind of sales numbers it had, because there's nothing to, uh, to tell me what that was. Lester Young died at uh, the age of 49 in 1959. He was born in uh, August 27th, 1909, or on August 27th, 1909, in 1909. A lot of ways to say when he was born, right? Originally from Woodville, Mississippi, died in uh, New York City in 1959 at the age of 49, a few months shy of his uh, 50th birthday. He was a pretty heavy-duty drinker. Extreme alcoholism is what effectively killed him. He, in his last, I guess his last sort of um, performance, uh, at the tail end of an abbreviated European tour, he ate next to nothing and drank heavily. And on a flight home to New York City, he suffered from internal bleeding due to the effects of alcoholism and died in the early morning hours of March 15th, only hours after arriving back in New York City. So, tragic end to a tragic life, but beautiful music was born from that tragedy. He did struggle for a number of years, and as a result, recorded some amazing compositions. As I said, that was a Rogers and Hart uh, composition, Richard Rogers and um, uh, Lorenz Hart, Rogers and Hart, very famous writing uh, duo, com- uh, composing duo, I should say, wrote a lot of music uh, for musicals as well. That was, of course, Lester's interpretation from the album The Jazz Giants. Lester was uh, a sort of a, a tragic, uh, tragic individual. He was uh, a member of Count Basie's orchestra for a number of years, and he was known for his hip, introverted style. He invented or popularized a great deal of, of the hipster jargon, which it came to be uh, came to be associated with the music. Free floating, free wheeling, driving like a gull, diving like a gull, I should say. It's kind of who he was, a unique individual with a unique style. And a, like I said, a sad, sad end to a tragic life, but. Sometimes that's just how it goes. Now, according to jazz critic uh, Leonard Feather, who rode with uh, Billie Holiday in a taxi to Lester's funeral, she said after the services, I'll be the next one to go. Four months later, on July 17th at 1959, that was her uh, timely, untimely demise at the age of 44. Pretty, Pretty tragic. So... Let's end this show on a positive note, shall we? I have one more artist and one more composition for you today. And because this is the uh, Christmas season, the Yuletide, 
Hanukkah. Although, I guess if you're celebrating Hanukkah, you're definitely not going to celebrate this song, but it is part of the season, nevertheless. This is from the album, Everybody Still Digs Bill Evans. This is his version of A Child is Born.
of this child is born. A child is born, I should say. <laughs> My apologies. I make a lot of mistakes. 
It happens. I'm only human, and I'm going to continue to do that. Of course, that was from the uh, compilation album, Everybody Still Digs Bill Evans, which is a remastering of um, 61 of his compositions, so a remastered, re-engineered version to provide the utmost in audio quality. Um, when was that released? I think it was 2021. Five albums, 61 songs, about five and a half hours worth of music. Well worth your time if you're a Bill Evans fan. His music and style and, well, his influence is still felt today on just about every jazz musician you're ever going to encounter. A brilliant pianist, artist, painter, composer, conductor. Very little of that he didn't do when it came to the world of art and music. Jazz, modal jazz, third stream, cool jazz, post-bop. The guy kind of did it all. I understand he was quite an avid golfer, too, but his heroin habit, which he thankfully managed to kick in uh, 1970, kind of led to a cocaine habit, which is what ultimately, you know, killed him. He started with one gram per week, but later started taking several grams daily. It's also impossible that his uh, his brother Harry, um, who, who took his own life, may have severely affected uh, affected Bill's um, emotional state in 1979. By 1980, um, it was pretty clear that he, he, he uh, was at the end of his life. And it was sad because, you know, he was such a young man at the time. I mean, really, he was only, what, 51 years of age. He had a lot of music left in him. Now, he did produce a prolific amount of music throughout his career and his life. But it's a shame that he died so young. As I said, he was an avid reader. <laughs> I mean, his bookshelves held works by Plato, Voltaire, um, Freud, Margaret Mead, Jean-Paul Sartre, and Thomas Merton. He, he studied Eastern religions and philosophies, including Islam, Zen, and Buddhism. And John Coltrane helped him in, helped introduce him to the um, Indian philosopher. Now I'm going to screw this name up, Krishnamurti. I believe I pronounced it correctly. I certainly hope I did. He was a golfer, a painter, a sketch artist, an avid reader of philosophy and Eastern meditation, religion, and a brilliant, brilliant jazz musician. He shall be missed. Okay, we have reached the end of today's program. I hope you've enjoyed the time we've spent together. I certainly have. And I will try and get back in to my usual routine of releasing one show a week. Uh, you know, time permitted, of course, because I am a pretty busy fellow these days. But I will try and dedicate some, some time each week to uh, producing and recording a show for you wonderful people out there who still love to learn about and listen to jazz. So until we meet again, my friends, wherever you are in this world, I hope you are happy and healthy and amongst loved ones. I'll talk to you real soon, okay? You take care. Bye.